Here we are again, um, talking Toro number 23. It's a Toro de Force. We're on a roll, Rob. Three wins in a row. Um, so obviously we didn't do a pod post Udinese, which was a bit of a shame. So we thought might, might be our only win in, in about eight weeks. But fortunately, um, we had a great win on Sunday night against Milan and it drove you to take your shirt off at one point. So what, talk what? us through it, Rob. What can I say? I just the the motion the mo- the emotion just overcame me. I just didn't know I didn't know what to do. It was a bit of a strange. It, I think it was almost the. Oh well, I'm going to go massively out of order, chronological order here. If we talk about the second goal, firstly, that was just pure shock. I think the the Gigi goal with um from a set piece is the sort of thing which set piece goal is always it's always quite nice, but it's not a you don't really have that same explosion of emotion that you do with a, maybe an open play goal, just because obviously with a set piece, there's always that opportunity that there is going to be a goal. Um, and yeah, I think it was pure, pure shock. I just, um, I do have a joke with my, my fiance that sometimes she finds it absolutely ridiculous that a grown man takes his shit off um, to celebrate a goal that he's in a football match that he's not playing in. Um, but yeah, I just, um, we were joking about it just after the first goal. I was like, oh, I kept my shirt on. Talk, then, talk, how, how long does the shirt stay off for? Oh, yeah. only it's it's uh, October, November. It's pretty chilly, um, so it's only, oh, it's well, only... Especially, especially we've not been able to put the heating on in the UK. Exactly, so. exactly. So I, I get the shirt off. I, I, uh, my fiance gives me the yellow card, and then I put it back on. Um, <laughs> but um, no, it was just it's just an impro- it's something I've done for ages. It is very sad, but it's something I've done since I was a kid. Just sometimes I just. This is probably why players get booked for it because it's a bad influence on children. And uh, I just, when I mean, I'm just overly excited for a goal, the shirt, the shirt comes off. All the most, all the uh, big goals that I've watched, it, thankfully, it only happens when I'm watching on TV. But so. said, was so clearly said, fiance was was aware of this before you proposed. Yeah, yeah, and she didn't, and, and she, she still didn't say no. Um, wow. But yeah, no, it's it's. I mean, and she probably hasn't seen it too often as well because we haven't had many big goals in the sort of well, that was, two or three years that, I think that was kind of the point I think we were watching the game and apart from the first five minutes obviously Torino it was one of those games where Torino had approached it pretty well tactically but you were wondering are we going to get a goal is that 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 was probably going to be quite obviously quite critical to any football match but we opened the scoring it's a little bit of a surprise that the way the goal came and then as you said score immediately afterwards it was that just um, a, especially, that double hit, I think. It was, it's it a was double the fact hit. that you uh, just and it also like not far not long to wait till half time either. So you were sort of just knew if you could if Torino could go into Tuna and I'd I'd been to a Torino Milan game where we were Tuna up at half time and, and managed to draw two all. So I still wasn't massively confident. But well there's one where we were Tuna up until the ninety second minute. Home, yeah. So. I remember that one too, but I think that was another one which I watched at home and uh, might have kept my shit on for that one. Um, I think there was a sense of the second goal. There was a handball in there, which wasn't immediately clear that it was the, the Milan player because the Torino players were. There was that split second of, oh, this is going to go to to VAR because there was a but it was hesitancy. Pellegrini was the only one who was really sort of claiming that. I think Gabby was claiming his innocence. Pellegrini was screaming about the handball, and it, it took Marantic and Vlasic to to have the cool head and just carry on playing them when they realised it was an opportunity because everyone did seem like stop, uh, time just stopped for a second. No, I agree, and it was. I think that that kind of gave us a the platform then going forward, didn't it? The two goal advantage, and I've got to say, well, I mean, we're jumping around a little bit, but it was about when Milan scored about a minute before. I just thought Torino are really comfortable here. I've not really got too much fear. I mean, knowing what Torino can do, yeah, 
uh, relatively speaking. I was just like, yeah, as the clock ticks, Milan are getting closer to that Champions League I'm... match in the week. And I just felt that it was that little spell at the start of the second half, but started to feel comfortable. And then, of course, you you know, Vanya oh. Misovic, Savic comes running out, misses misses the ball, misses take because you're just taking out Bongiorno, forgetting the fact that that was a clear foul by Messias, which no one really seemed to pick up on at the time, but has caused quite a sting afterwards. I think um, Messias and- is probably, he used, to, he used to be a delivery man, um, delivering fridges, I, be- I believe, when he was a semi-professional football league. I think he thought he inter-in, was back. Inter-in, inter-in yeah, well. inter-in. So I think he was back, thought he was back uh, doing the delivery work, the, uh, the the push he gave on Bongiorno. It was like he was trying to get a fridge in a van. Um but I'm going. I'll guess slightly go back a little bit, and then we'll, and then we'll talk on sort of the, the main major instances in the games because almost in the in the elation of the result, you almost forget that we probably should have been two 0 down in the first five minutes um, because Rafael Leal missed two, the second of which was an unbelievable chance, um, and I think sometimes, obviously, when you look in hindsight, and you look in retrospect, maybe then you sort of makes you think. Maybe this is going to be our day because I think on another day we could have been, I think if we concede within five minutes, we are a team who are massive um, because we're a relatively young side. Um, confidence is just such a big thing for this team. And I think as soon as we go behind in the game, I'm never really that confident. We, we might come back to get an equaliser, but I'm not that confident we're ever going to come back to win it. Whereas if you see in the game against Udinese and the game against Milan, we take the lead and sort of that gives us a little bit of of confidence. But I don't think we've lost a point from any position this season. I might I might be wrong about that, but I, we haven't we haven't had that many wins to be fair. No, but yeah, it's I think true. You, I but think we might be right. I don't think we've once we yeah scoring first is is obviously very very important. Obviously, I mean against Udinese we did let the goal back and then had to go take the lead again. Um, but the first goal, first goal, clearly crucial. Well, I just looked, I've said this before, this Milan team, I don't, I can't really work them out because I think Pioli's done a fantastic job um, to to kind of, well, A, a win the league. I think you see a little bit of their true value in the Champions League. I think the two games against Chelsea are a little bit unfortunate. They're kind of circumstantial things, but I've, you look at that spine of that Milan team that came. I know they made a few changes, but uh, Tatarasanu, Gabia, um, in midfield, you had, we can talk a bit about Pobega in a minute and then Origi through the attack. And actually, well, all four of them stayed on the pitch for, for, for the entire game, which I also found strange. Yes, there was a bit of quality around them, but uh, of that Milan team that started, how many of them are really Champions League players at this at this moment in time some of them may may go on to be kind of elite Champions League players I mean Hernandez possibly but I thought he had a really poor match and was very surprised he didn't take that three kick which they had him in injury time as well I think so I think the kind of opportunity was there for Torino if they could if they could approach the game well which which we did um and yeah as, as I said I just don't think I don't think there's too many teams in Serie A at the moment to fear, uh, apart from apart from Napoli. Um, and I, I do think Torino should be should be doing typically a lot a lot better in these in these sort of games. And we talked last time about the six seven percent win record over the last thirty years. Um, well, to counter that, we've only lost two in the last eleven home games against Milan. So they've become a side we've we're getting better at getting a result against anyway. Um, I think for once, my my little theory about 
teams with Champions League games, they may have actually came came true because it, I always did get the feeling that with Pioli selection, they did have sort of one eye on the the Salzburg game in midweek, and I think maybe because of the the fact that all the Champions League games have had to be played this so early because of the World Cup, the fact that obviously they would have travelled to Zagreb last midweek, then they've got this game, and then they've got a crucial game in the next midweek as well. That that's sort of basically three sort of massive games in the space of seven days, and that, it seemed like this one was maybe just a little bit too much for them against the side who were always going to be quite up for it. Sold out Stadio Grande Torino, coming into the game with good form, and in the previous games against Milan, I always felt like I felt we, we deserved something. We played them in the running last season. I think it was nil-nil, but I felt we played well and, and probably of the two sides deserved, deserved the win. And then I, I remember playing at the Sun Zero and they sneaked a 1-0, but we dominated the second half. So it was always a side who I knew we would do quite well against. It's not like a, a Napoli who we, we never seem to put in a, a good performance or get a good result against it of, in recent years as well. I felt, like you say, that team sheet, I think Leal, Hernandez have been really good players for Milan over the last couple of years. But they just I just felt that something wasn't quite right early stages that they made that they were not there for the taking because second half not we weren't holding on. I never felt that we were sort of massively in danger of, of giving up the win. But Torino being Torino, they always find some sort of way to make it a bit nervy and and this time I don't think people call it a Milinkovic Savic Howler, which I, I think I think he's, he shouldn't. He shouldn't have been where he was. No, he, no, he shouldn't. He shouldn't have been where he was. Um, but even if he was, even if they not, if they, if he still fouls Bonjour, I still, I mean, Bonjour. No, I, I feel, I feel so bad because I, I really, really want him to do well, and I, I, I do feel bad for criticising because I'm a, a little bit of a hypocrite because I also mentioned that we don't give players from the Primavera opportunities, and then when we have got a young defender who sort of escalated to, to be captain at, what is he, 21, 22. Uh, I feel I might be a little bit over-critical, but I think he, there were a couple of instances, even in the first half, where he just looked really uncomfortable. Um, I think he probably could have dealt with the... Uh, it, it is a foul, and I think that that sort of is a bit of a caveat in can hold too much blame to him or, or Malinkovic Savage because of that he should have been given as a foul I don't really know how it ha- hasn't been but he just never really looked comfortable in that situation anyway um, and I think he might just need to sort of work on his own limitations a little bit there was, like, there was an opportunity in the first half where he sort of tried to be a bit clever rather than just passing it back to the keeper and that's why the, the advantage of Malinkovic Savage is he is good with his feet that you can when you're in a, under a little bit of pressure just play it back to him and I don't think He's, I don't think we've actually had any sort of issues where he's sort of done a Padelli and a back pass. He's not been able to sort of control it. So yeah, that's my only my only concern with Bongiorno is that I just I'm not mass I'm not fully convinced with him just yet. And I think that even though there was there was the foul, there's still there's still parts of the game where I just don't think he is. If you were going to tell me Torino, if I was going to sort of line up. Torino's best 11 for a big game, Pongiorno wouldn't be in it. 
No, I thought he often plays, he often has a good game and then doesn't back it up with um, with another good game. I think he did pretty well in, in Udine. Um, he t- often tends to do well in games which are a bit back to the wall, I find. I think he's quite good at um, uh, penalty box defending. and, and, he, and He might be slower than Rodriguez. He, he is, is slow as well, yeah. But that's the other thing with Rodriguez. I, I have the feeling, and this is going to be an interesting thing in the next few weeks, that certain players are are, are going to hold back for the World Cup. Uh, and I get the impression almost that Rodriguez is is kind of being rested a little bit by by Juric. Not that we've got indebted to Switzerland for any reason, but I just think it, it kind of makes sense over the next few games. For the, I mean, we have a, quite a few players going to the World Cup, but actually quite a few of them are not always starters. Um, so, yeah, but I think bonjourna has got a chance to have a run in the side and maybe he will also benefit from when the defence is a little bit more stable. Um, and I think in that situation, he was the unfortunate one because he got the push from Macias and I just I just don't know what Milinkovic-Savic is doing there. He's obviously, I know why he's there, he's tried to be very proactive, but he's completely misread the danger. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, it's a mistake which which could have cost us there. But I actually thought we played pretty. We defended um, from two one to the to the end of the game, despite the referee's best intentions to to play a ridiculous. I, I, I thought we were still gonna be, I thought we were still be playing now. To be honest, with you. well, and then the substitutions were quite interesting. I don't know if this is related to Urich being sent off, but it was clear that Skurs and Bonjourna were always going to be hooked being on those yellow cards. And I did think bringing on David Zima. Um, a little bit less Rodriguez was going to, yeah, was, percent, was potentially seemed, not going to be ideal. That seemed to also change the whole, um, well, I think Zima came on to sort of literally affect Shares, play playing Shares' position in the centre of the of the back three. Um, but yeah, I, I did sort of understand uh, the, the substitution, but it, he's always one which, given the evidence in, in prior games, is always a little bit of a worry because because of what's happened in the past, Zima does tend to get a little bit overexcited and and go towards the ball and forget his sort of main job is is, is marking the striker. Yeah, and and then also bringing on well Linetti and Adopo together as well. Um, I mean, Adopo had that little sombrero run where he sh- he should have kind of carried the ball in uh, towards the corner flag, but obviously, yeah, it's not often they. I guess he's the closest, Adopo would be the closest player we have to Pobega from last season in terms of yeah. the physicality in midfield. I did want to talk about um, Pobega and a little bit Mandragora as well, because I've I've seen a little bit of him, of him at Fiorentina and I just wondered, do you, was that the sort of performance that's going to get him moved back to Torino in January? Yes. And would, <laughs> would you, and would you want him back? Because I, I, yeah, I, I just, I thought he, he was one of, probably the worst player on the pitch. But. I, I I would take him back. I just my fear with Pabega would be, in, and I think I, I may have said this on a previous pod last season. So I just don't think on a technical level he would fit into a Champions League quality team. If you look at Tenali, he is a similar type of player in in the fact that he's a holding midfielder, but just plays the game very differently. He's very good technically, more of a sort of um, more of a harrier. Um, can sort of press quite well and maybe not got the physicality of Pabega, but on the technical level, he's, he's streets above. And I just think that Pabega, in a way, it was almost quite, I got the feeling he was almost overawed by the occasion, which seemed strange for a player who was only on loan at the club. But I did get the feeling that he maybe 
he enjoyed his time at Torino. And from what I know of the player, I think he's quite a, um, a deep thinker, quite an edu- as, a, as a person, sorry, rather than a player. Like, I think he's quite a sort of deep thinker. And I think he did seem to quite like his time at Turin. And <laughs> every time he like fouled a player, he would have been a teammate last season. I got a feeling he was very apologetic. Whereas when he was fouling players, we didn't know. So like a, a Moranchuk or whatever, he, he was almost sort of, oh, well, I don't know who you are. Um I, he's it, quite, yeah. He's a very destructive player, though, isn't he? He's just a, a lot of niggly fouls. He's he's a rhythm breaker. Yeah, and I think his great quality was his ability to kind of break into the box, which they're not they're not really qualities of a of a starter, at least for a Champions League level no, team. I, just, I, I was thinking back to last season. I don't really. He was very good before Christmas, and then Urich made all those kind of complaints about him being an on loan player, and then I just felt the second half of last season. The performance he gave on on Sunday was quite typical of the Pobega we saw a little bit in the final months of last season. And I do wonder, I think Lukic and especially Richie are, Richie are wonderful technicians who look after the ball. Um, obviously, certain qualities they don't have. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I kind of wonder, do we need a midfielder who's maybe an alternative um, for them with a similar skill set rather than, rather than a Pobega? I think Juric is actually being sort of almost a bit critical that uh, Lukic and Richie are quite similar, like maybe a bit too similar. That I think in an ideal world, world you would have one of them and maybe somebody who's a little bit more physical either side of them. But I think it's very difficult to to drop one of them. If you look at how our form massively improves when Richie's in the team, Lukic hasn't had a great season, but I think he in the last couple of weeks seems to be getting back to the player. Of, of last year who improved so much under Juric. I think it's quite telling that when Bongiorno came on for Rodriguez that Rodriguez told Lukic to keep the captain's armbands and maybe that is sort of a slow sort of reintegration in the fact that I think I wouldn't be surprised if Lukic does wear the, the captain's armband on a little bit more of a regular basis. I think he's more of a natural captain than Rodriguez anyway. Bear in mind as we've discussed that Rodriguez doesn't like to talk. Um, I think, I think if you were, if the opportunity to sign Pabega came up, I think he would be a really good option for the squad for a number of reasons. It would allow you to rest because a drop off from if Lukic or Richie are injured to Linetti, who is a hard worker, but the quality isn't there. I think I actually think that he's had a, a really good season, but the the quality drop off is is quite significant. But I also think Pabega did quite well in the sort of Trey Quartista role against the bigger sides, especially maybe away from home, he could play the sort of rather than a Moranchuk, you could say, and that sort of physical ability to get into the box. He's a good finisher. And then obviously when we're under pressure, he can sort of drop back a little bit and and help the the two midfielders if they were Lukic and Richie. I think he's he didn't play well. I don't think he will be a Milan player for a like a regular for Milan, but I think he's only just signed a new contract, so they obviously have a, get a little bit of faith in him. Um, and yeah, I just don't think it was his best performance at all, which which thankfully helped out Torino. Yeah, I, mean, I think Linetti um, is a better player in a three than in a two because a three he's at Sampdoria he was quite a good box to box player, and I think apart from the early uh, weeks under Gianpaolo. We've, we've we've kind of rarely seen that Linetti, and I think he's just he's kind of slowly adapted. 
um, to that role. Uh, yeah, the other one was, was Mandragora. I've seen a bit of him at Fiorentina. And again, he's like Pobega. He, he, he gives away so many cheap fouls. And Mandragora's got nice left foot. Um, but for, us, for every one good thing he does, there seems to be like a misplaced pass or um, a, kind of, a kind of silly foul. And I just thought, yeah, I, I wonder if in hindsight, I mean, Torino didn't have a choice about Pobega leaving, but I wonder if... Yeah, we're, we're kind of slowly looking at a different type of midfielder going forward. Um, the player once, what did players I want to talk about was um, was Lazzaro as well, um, who get I think gets better week on week. And you, I just, just one player who really reminds me of is uh, Kieran Trippier, and I say because Kieran Trippier seems to take spend a lot of time taking throw-ins. I swear half of the match against Milan was, was Lazzaro uh, wasting time taking throw-ins. Um, I think height-wise and, yeah, kind of look, uh, um, maybe it's just the heavily tatted arms, but uh, but then also just, yeah, mainly where the comparison is, is just why well, you can play on the right and left as well. And plus, um, finally, we've got someone who could deliver a set piece as well. Um, and I think he's, yeah, I mean, Aina being injured... Um, and it kind of his best moment of form in a Torino shirt was was obviously a bit of a letdown. But I thought I thought well, A. Lazzaro did very well, and I actually thought Singo gave a very mature, almost unsingo like performance. Where he'd obviously been told by Juric, "I don't need you in the final third too much, but you've got to use your pace to make sure um, Hernandez doesn't get too much space." And I think that worked really well. I think yeah, kind of at fullback, at wing back, we're kind of week on week, we're kind of improving. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I think Lazaro was a player who I was really excited when we signed him because I can remember the hype that has has been uh, around the player for a number of years. The fact that Inter, I think, paid over €20 million for him um, shows that he, the quality that he possesses. I think, like a a lot of players, I think when you come... Torino, because of the financial restrictions that they have, they're not really going to be able to afford players who are at the peak of their ability and are really, really good players. They're, they're either coming there as younger players who need a little bit of time to develop or who've gone to bigger sides and it hasn't worked out and they sort of had to sort of drop down a level. Uh, or there's players maybe with a bit of an attitude concern where they need sort of a bit of consistency in regular football where that's going to come in. I think Lazaro probably fits into the, the second category where he... He had a loan spell at, uh, he, he had a permanent deal, uh, I think he moved from Hertha Berlin to Inter, it didn't work, really work out. Then he had a couple of loans, w- was in the Premier League with Newcastle for a while and don't think that worked out either. But like on a technical level, he's very good. Work rate would probably be, especially the fact that I think he was more of a, a winger who's now sort of been converted into a wing back. He... It really adapted to it. Doesn't complain. Carries on and, and done it. He seems to play a lot of ninety minutes as well. So he's obviously got quite a good sort of stamina and, and fatigue, where or lack of fatigue, where he's able to sort of last the whole game. And, and that versatility is is good. If you think it, look at Voivoda, who was one of our better players last season, isn't really getting a, a look in at the moment because he's he's playing so well, really in it out of position. I know he played a little bit for Benfica at left wing back last season, but. I think it's he would be a player alongside Vlasic. I'd be looking at trying to sort of tie up those permanent loan deals as soon as possible. Whether that happens or not, I think is remains to be seen. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree, and I think yeah, just be, kind of moving a little bit onto the forward line. 
Um, Pellegrini's probably had his most extended run in the side with uh, the goal against Chutadella and then uh, I thought very. I thought he gave a very good performance to Udine, who just uh, kept just kept their defense busy. He's not doesn't always hold up the ball in the same way Belotti does or, or kind of have that um, intelligence to win certain fouls, but he's really puts himself about, um, has got quite a, a quite a decent turn of pace. Um, Sunday was a slightly different game for him, but I thought he, he occupied their defence very well. And then the two either side of him, Miranchuk for me is will be a more decisive player than, than Pryor, maybe not quite as, um, yeah, sometimes not quite as, as easy on the eye and he might slip in and out of games, but I just think he's, he's much more a goal threat. And then the other side, Vlasic was one who confused me because the next day, all of the newspapers, I mean, he had the highest rating. Whereas I felt as an attacking player, um, he didn't, didn't necessarily offer too much threat, but I think what he obviously did is played a very tactically, very intelligent game. It's maybe something appreciated more kind of after the game as well. I think um, this is, that's something which I think Jurich alluded to in his pre-match uh, press conference, where he said that it's basically Vlasic offers enough, it offers in both sides of the games and that he's a goal threat. He's good technically, but his work rate's always there as well. Whereas the work rate of Moranchik and, and Radonjic probably isn't um, as good. So it's, it's Vlasic plus one other, one other, which I think has been sort of, You've sort of dem- we've demonstrated that throughout the season. It's it's either been Moranchuk or Radonjic, whereas Vlasic tends to be almost the the number one name on the team sheet, even if it says a false nine. Um, I think he, I think that's probably an underrated part of his game, and something that I wasn't I wasn't massively familiar with the player, despite being playing in the Premier League. I've not seen too much of him at West Ham, but I think he does give a lot. Um. In, in terms of, of work rate and he has got that quality that when a chance presents it, you do fancy him to score as well. Um, if you, if you compare him to a Brecolo, I think Brecolo was a, had mo- a little bit like a Moranchuk, had, had moments where he was in games and out of games, but off the ball, you didn't really see much of him. He, whereas Vlasic, I think he, in the 90th minute on, on Sunday was sort of contesting a, a, a ball in the corner to try and win it for the team, which which is a, a promising sign and and that's something which is always going to get you on side with the fans as well. No, de- de- definitely. I, t- yeah, I just feel the last few weeks, Vlasic has been a little bit less of a goal threat. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, kind of maybe he's kind of sacrificed himself more for the team. I just wanted to say a word on Jan Karamo. I, I think I really like this player. He's got, he's, he's definitely brings something different. I don't know if you, uh, how much of the Udinese game you were able to see, but there was a couple of, um, counter-attacks very late on. Um, uh, one of it's where Radonjic made an absolutely horrendous pass um, and failed to put Karaman through one-on-one. And then a few minutes later, he went one-on-one and uh, fluffed his lines. And I felt there's a moment in, late in the in the Milan game where he did a great bit of skill and then and then lost control of the ball. But I think he's quite, quite a fun player to come. He's uh, definitely, definitely a good option to have on the, on the bench on the counter-attack, especially if you're in, in the lead and you know that you get opportunities on the counter-attack. I mean, pace-wise, I think I might have said before, he could be one of the quickest players that I've seen in a Torino shirt because he just does seem to be absolutely lightning. Um, I think, and he's now maybe gone ahead of, of second in the pecking order and I think 
both of them probably wouldn't mind me saying that finishing and their end products could be an area which they 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 look to to work on in training but I think ever since that Empoli game where Caramel made such an impact that would be I, I could see again especially with Ina injured and in in games where we need where we we've got a lot of possession and we're sort of dominating then I could sort of see Caramel coming on being even as a wing back rather than as a as a uh, one of the one of the uh, front three um, just in terms of of getting that sort of just just go and attack you attack your fullback because I think he he does put a lot of fear into the defences. Uh, it's um I get, yeah I mean I think there's well, obviously no there's there's clear kind of areas a team can improve um, in January but I think the form of especially the form of the wing backs um, and under defence I mean it's it's fairly clear where where a bit of investment's gonna gonna be needed. Um, I do I do wonder if there'll be a Brecolo or a Pobega return in January. Brecolo see a bit, little bit less of a need for him. Um, it, hopefully, it might be a might be a centre forward coming in. There's a there's a lad at Roma who's not scored a league goal yet. Is there? Is that is that Tommy Abraham? Because I'm not allowed to mention <laughs> the other player. Um, I um, just thought just when we end this sort of section on the uh, Milan and, and Udinese games, can we just have a, a word of praise for Kofi Gigi? Uh, scoring his first goal for Torino, and I, I think I don't think there's been that many players who have massive turned their totally had a turnaround in terms of how the fans viewed them in in such a short period as Gigi, especially in recent years. If you think that this was a player who a year ago was sort of being pilloried and almost sort of mocked for for some of his defending and, and things that he was costing us points with, which I think, again, I think he would have held his hands up. And he does seem to be that sort of player who takes mistakes to heart. And you can sort of see physically how, uh, on his face, that he seems absolutely devastated that he's, he's made a mistake that's cost the team. But I think for the last year, when he's played, he's been really good. And the fact that Juric made such a point in the, the uh, pre-match press conference to say that he played so well against... Um, Liao last season and that was why he was playing over Zima and then to pop up with a goal he looked embarrassed to score but you, I always like to well, I always like you to, probably realised you might be taking your shirt off mate well, so. well maybe but he I, I always like the, the reaction of other players to sort of give you uh, an indication as to what players are like in the dressing room and literally every player like went absolutely crazy when GG scored and I'm, whether that's just the the emotion of shock. the game or scoring the goal. It was sort of a, it was a mixture of shock and elation because I think I get the impression he's just a very, just a good teammate to have. He's one of those players who I think comes in, gives everything that he's got. And yes, he's not, he's not going to be the best centre-back that's ever played for Torino. He's probably not in the best three centre-backs that Torino currently have at the club. But for the last year, has he made any mistakes? I think he had a spell where he's given away a penalty every week. But ever, ever since then, he's been... Um, very good, and Juric loves him. And um, oh, Juric woke up and smelt the coffee, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I'm saving that one for you. But no, I think the credit, I think, I think the credit is uh, is to Juric because he saw a player when he came in, a player who'd been farmed out unknown to, to, to Crotone, um, and it took it's probably took to the middle of last season to kind of win the fans over. But yeah, he's very he's a very aggressive defender. He's got good pace. He enjoys a duel. And yeah, those kind of mistakes from his game um seem seem to have been ironed out. So yeah, I think credit 
definite credit to both of them. And I think, I guess my closing thing on, there's a few points I wanted to say about Udinese, but I don't know how, how much time I have. I'm just really glad we beat the team with uh, uh, Sotil's antics on the sidelines and, and Delafo has spent most of the game thinking he was messy. Um, uh, he played quite well, but he was, uh, the, the amount of kind of, posing that went on from him was uh, I was very, I was very glad when we won that match but the, the final thing I want to say about the Milan game is just full stadium and obviously uh, it's Sunday evening there was the kind of fancy camera work it was a really good shot they did of the Maratona I think like before the final whistle um with that kind of tracking camera but I, I know there was a lot of Milan fans there as well and some of them infiltrated the home end but it was just it's just great to see a full stadium and actually we talked about memories but that would have been yeah, that might be as good as it gets for a performance and a result this season. We don't know. Um, well, I mean, ultimately beating one of the one of the top three, you don't have that many opportunities. But yeah, it's just more nights like that, please. Um, and as, maybe a run in the Coppa Italia, we may see. You know, I know we've got to play Milan now again, but yeah, it just just makes such a difference. Yeah, no, agree agree with both of those uh, things there. I think. In a way, it's a shame that we couldn't put that performance against Juve because I think if we played in a similar way against Juve, we'd have, we'd have probably won quite comfortably. Uh, and you can only imagine what the atmosphere would have been there. But I think for this team to get finally get a big win, I'm hoping and remains to be seen for the rest of the season or maybe at least until the international, until the World Cup break. But I'm hoping we can sort of kick on now and, and maybe get a couple more nights like that. Yeah, I mean, looking at the league table, it... There's seven teams above us who probably are going to finish above us. And I think we're looking maybe at, yeah, if we can haul Udinese in, get a run in the cup. But I don't know if, I don't know if there's a scenario where eighth place will get Europe. I haven't, depending on who wins the Coppa Italia, but um, I think that's where we've got to be looking. Maybe we're looking at, looking at eighth place with getting some big results and a run in the cup. But um, I think it's time to hero of the week, which you're choosing. So, so you yeah, wanna, you want to play we'll, in one of his goals? We'll end part one with uh, a little clue for, as to who my hero of the week might be. We'll see you soon. Rosina prova il pallonetto. Rosina, gol del vantaggio. Il primo gol in campionato è di Alessandro Rosina. So that was a, if memory serves me, an opening day of the season goal from Alessandro Rosinaldo Rosina. Uh, Wait, Lazio, uh, beautiful chip over another baldy, Marco Balotta. Was he oldest goalkeeper in Serie A or something like that? He he was around for a long time, but yeah. So Rosina is your your hero of the week. You were at that match, so I was. Yeah, that. so I'll talk a little bit about that game and and the reason why I picked Rosina. If you think that my sort of Torino fandom sort of started in two thousand and five, but probably seriously was sort of 2006 there wasn't a lot of players to pick from but Rosina was somebody who quite early on I had a bit of an attachment to just he's an old-fashioned Trequartista really he's, he's a number 10 um he's only five foot six so he sort of um couldn't really put him in uh, many other roles in the in the pitch other than sort of in, as a number 10 but I just I liked the way that he played and, and this goal against against Lazio unfortunately it was still quite young I was probably about 17 maybe um and we were on holiday in Rome I tied up to go to um uh, the Lazio game but it was in the home end so it was un- unfortunately unable to to celebrate as I did the Marantic goal but I I can just still I can still remember it pretty pretty well I think it was 2000 
2008, I want to say. So it's still quite a still quite a long time ago. Um, but just uh, an unbelievable goal helps the I think by the fact that Balotta is is moving pretty slowly, and I think a, a, a maybe more competent keeper probably would have saved it. But it is a one of my favourite Torino goals. I think probably the best goal I've seen live in the stadium. Probably up there for for any side. I just think a, a chip is just one of my favourite types of goals. Just the fact that it requires the vision and the execution. Uh, Long range goals are can be scored by any sort of player really. If you if you hit the, if a professional footballer hits the ball quite well, then nine times out of ten, if they hit it sort of the way that they want to, it's probably going to go in. It doesn't really matter if they're sort of a, a fullback or a, a midfielder or a striker. They tend to they tend to go in. Whereas I feel like a chip is, is sort of reserved for your sort of more creative, your your very sort of genius sort of players with. I also, funnily enough, when I went to Italy for the first time, I also saw Francesco Totti scored a very famous chip in um, in the Sun Zero against Inter. I also saw that goal live as well. So, might just be something about about that goal which made me think that chips are just my favourite type of goal. But a little bit more about a bit of background for Rosina. We came to the club in 2005, which obviously, hopefully you'll be able to talk a little bit more about later, Peter. But signed from Parma. Um, was in the side that got us promoted and was just, I think he was, I think he quickly became the captain very much in the sort of Italian attitude that the best player just becomes captain automatically. Um, but yeah, he became captain, I think, at some at some stage, maybe not in the promotion season, but it's especially in the Serie, in, in the Serie A years. Um, and he, I, I, I can sort of see why some fans probably wouldn't hold him in such esteem as I would. Um, I think I'm very, very much limited by what I'd seen before. Rosina was probably the first sort of flair player that I'd, I'd seen play for the club. Um, and he was a, a good dribbler, a good penalty taker, which we'll get onto in a second as well. But he was probably the, the best player for us for a good couple of years in those early Serie A seasons. And unfortunately, um, we we ended up getting relegated in 2009. Um, he then moved to uh, Zenit St. Petersburg, um, where after a while he, I think Dick Avocar was his first coach. Um, so he had a little bit of Dick, and then he um, he had um, Luciano Spalletti, um, uh, a fellow Italian, came over, and, and the, I believe they won the league together. Um, but one of the now. I'm gonna be very careful, Nick. I don't want to get sued, but I um I always had a a feeling, and a, there's no way to prove this. But in 2013, Alessandro Rosina returned to uh, Turin and Torino with Siena, and I'm not sure if you remember this game, but we we did win three two. It was a lunchtime kickoff. Wasn't it was it? a lunch ca- yeah. lunchtime kickoff. I think it was probably the first time that Serie A had done these sort of lunchtime kickoffs. Um and. It was 3-2, 90th minute, and Rosina got a penalty. And as far as my memory serves, he never missed a penalty for Torino. I might be wrong, but I could never I could never remember him missing one. And I just got, just got a very weird feeling that when Rosina stepped at six penalties, I got the feeling he didn't want to score. <laughs> didn't want to score it. Um, 
I imagine my surprise when it went wide. Um, again, not did it go wide it, or did it go over? No, I think it went. I think it went wide. Um, so I'm not. I'm not suggesting anything. I don't, I'm not obviously not suggesting it. It deliberately missed it, but I think that's probably just. I can just remember the time. Sometimes when a player returns to a former club, you and almost a little bit like Pabega, like I said, I, I just got the feeling that he wasn't his self. He just there was something just off about him, and his performance probably probably didn't help and, and whether that that was because he wasn't playing well he, he he didn't feel the same or because he was against the former side and he just sort of didn't have the same intensity that he, he would usually um yeah I just I just remember thinking that was that was 2013 so it was sort of nearly 10 years ago but I can still remember thinking I remember when he stepped up thinking I don't I don't think he wants to take this or I don't think he's I don't think he's confident maybe maybe it was that maybe it was just the fact that he was in a stadium but he would have had some of his most memorable moments as a as a professional um being on the other side and and maybe that maybe that led to him missing the penalty but um he was just he's one of those players who are when we started this feature I just wanted to highlight that just that he was one of the first heroes. I think I, I mentioned previously it was Roberto Stallone, and it, who, funny enough, was at the Milan game. I noticed on Abana uh, Curry's uh, Instagram, um, and and Rosina, two, the two Baldies were. Um, were sort of that's the two a very Baldy team. That, it, that exactly. Like maybe a, maybe that's another challenge for you, Peter. Baldy eleven, um, but <laughs> that might be for another podcast. Um, but. Yeah, I just think Rosina was, for my era, definitely not one of the best, maybe not the best players, but I think he, um, for that time, for a couple of seasons, he was sort of the sort of poster boy for that for that side, and uh, maybe a little bit, a lot of a lot of the other players that we signed around that time were sort of players towards the end of their career. If you think of like Rakobo and Fiore coming in, whereas Rosina was still at the start of his career and sort of building. And I think he, he only managed one cap for Italy, which I think was when he was still at Torino, which I think probably a little bit, um, probably deserved maybe a few more. I think at his peak, I think he, he could have been um, a sort of a more influential player. And he, he then he, he carried on his career and had a, a few seasons in Serie B. I didn't realise, I think he only retired in 2020. Uh, for Salernitana, which was probably cut, would have been cut short with the with the COVID nineteen pandemic, I imagine. So, um, yeah, I didn't realise that he'd, he'd he'd managed to play for for so long. But was is just a player who I will um, I sort of always remember and have a bit of a soft spot for. In that Lazio game, did did uh, Ricky Violati score as well? Was that he did? Right? Yeah, two two. He was a real lost talent, um, but he was the one player who's, who. Across uh, the divide from the old Torino to the new one, when when the club went bankrupt, but he was always a player who had this, uh, yeah, yeah de- definite talent. But uh, yeah, whether it was um, whether it was a lack of focus or or belief in himself, but um, without going off on a tangent, uh, yeah, Rosina. Uh, be honest with you, he always left me a little bit cold. Um, he was a bit of a reluctant hero. Um, and I completely agree in those seasons, he was our one uh, really good technical player because, my good goodness, even even the promotion team we had was was a lot of journeymen and they got through on, a, on experience and a great team spirit, but it wasn't a lot of a lot of quality. And in those first Serie A seasons under Cairo where we just comp- bought the wrong players all of the time, Rosina was the one, wasn't always 
consistent. He, he did play a little bit in bursts as well. Um, and then looking back on his first season, the Serie B promotion season, it took him 11 goals, 11 games to score his first goal. And then he seemed to have, because uh, I, I mean, I remember at the time, um, it was a you know, the period where I was in Turin and I remember it was a period around Christmas time where, yeah, he really kind of, um, he really kind of came came into form and scored. I remember a game at home to Atalanta where he scored two really good goals. Um, as you said, really cool penalty taker though, um, and especially so in that playoff uh, final against Mantova. And then in the Serie A season, I think the first season he largely kept us up with his goals. Um, I remember a couple of, uh, he said a great, not always the fastest, but he had a brilliant kind of close control and um, obviously not using the word messy, but yet but it, he had a certain kind of ability to carry the ball, um, which, yeah, you don't see in many players. I, remember, I think there's a, a couple of goals, maybe at Ascoli and away in Bergamo as well that season, which were which were really crucial. And then I think he got a bit messed around with the Rakoba and the Dimicheles and these players. And there was a bit of kind of, yeah, too many kind of technicians in the team. And I, th I think his final season, he scored that goal, the winning goal, didn't he, at Naples, which we thought might keep us up, a kind of great three kick, which ended up being his kind of, yes, yeah, his last contribution. And it was a real, real shame for him. It ended in, in relegation. And then he went, we said, went on to Zenit. But if you look at it, he went to Zenit at 25 and he didn't play a massive amount in Russia and he came back to Siena. But I think he played fewer than 60 top flight games after leaving Torino at the age of 25. So I think injuries, possible injury problems did did kind of did kind of creep in. But it's definitely a player whose best football was at Torino. Um, but he was never, um, never really an exuberant personality or anything. He was never... Didn't smile very much for Zena, did he? He was, he was he he took his craft quite seriously. Um, and I was saying, was just, I guess there's something something about him which never warmed to. Yeah, I know. I liked him as a player, and, and, and definitely not not denying him <laughs> his place in our <laughs> in this Hall of Fame. This kind of um, yeah, very coveted Hall of Fame we've got. But no, I just. Um, I guess there's players who've done less for Torino who probably a little bit more Coltero ish. Yeah. Um whereas Rosina, yeah, he was just he was just uh I guess he was quite quite understated what he did. But yeah, brilliant technician, some probably ten of the fifteen best Torino goals. Um well, yeah, certainly contribute some of the best goals you would have seen um in, in kind of your supporting supporting era. Um and yeah, I'd say for three of those seasons he was he, he was a kind of massive contributor to to well to to kind of us staying in Serie A and, and getting there in the first place. I think just on your captain on the point about being a captain, I think that happened in the first Serie A season because I think Oscar Bravey would have been the captain, and then he got kind of well he was like thirty eight, thirty nine years of age, and then slowly got phased out. So yeah, he was he was captain as well. Does um, seem like it. Does seem to be a. Um... Italian trait where sometimes because it had sort of happened with Bianchi as well just to just to fit him into the podcast as well where because he was the best player on the team just automatically became captain and I suppose you're almost tried it I suppose if you think of Lukic as one of the better players this season um tried to be captain and it just seems to be something which I think we've mentioned on the pod 
the natural leaders, um, there probably aren't that many, especially in, in the current squad. It may be something which is almost dying out of football in, in general as a wider point. Um, but yeah, I don't think, like you say, with his personality, you could be massively motivated by an Alessandro Rosina speech pre-match. Yeah, I just I think he was probably a reluctant captain. I don't, yeah, I never um, kind of, as you said, a kind of symbolic captain rather than, um, I think maybe we look too much into captaincies anyway, but um, yeah. Um, but no, very, very good players. One of those players, it's nice sometimes to go back and look at his goals as well because there were certain, some some kind of absolute crackers in there. Lovely. Shall we get over to uh, a villain? And you might have to, uh, you might have to do much of the, most of the talking here, Peter, because unfortunately this is a little bit before my time. I think you will have some some empathy with the villain because he played eighteen games for three and then won two of them. That's a bit like your record going to matches, isn't it? Uh, yeah, but I can't control the the games that I can't uh, control the result because they don't let me take my boots anymore. Whereas... I just got two two words on my notebook here: um, two wins, eighteen games, Rob level. <laughs> That's what it says. Uh, so this player was. Um, uh, Torino have bought a lot of Uruguayans probably over the last 30 years. It wouldn't surprise me if of the kind of um, overseas players, Uruguay definitely be quite high up there in the, in the most. There's actually another Uruguayan player I had chosen originally, and he may resurface in the next few weeks. But then I remembered um, uh, in our last podcast, we talked about uh, Gigi Moroni, which led us on to the story of, of Atilio Romero. And Atilio Romero was president when Torino bought this player, and he came out with this quite infamous quote about this player. When we signed this player, he said, um, he's got a mercurial left foot. It's a mix of George Best, Gigi Moroni, and uh, Francisco Hento, the, the, the great Real Madrid player. So we are talking about uh, Federico Magallanes, who is a, is a Uruguayan player, um, kind of yeah, quite stocky. Um, not particularly pacey, wide left forward, who was signed from signed from Venezia. Um, he'd been a bit of a kind of prodigy as a youth player. Won three titles with Penarol, and then Atalanta did pick him up. I think under Emiliano Mondonaco in the mid nineties, and then he got this crazy move to Real Madrid. Didn't play there, and then got passed around teams in Spain before coming back to to Italy. Um, but it was yeah. Uh, so at the time, Torino's sporting director, again, this is uh, peak Tara, but so at one point, the great Sandro Mazzola in his own right, but obviously son of Valentino Mazzola was appointed our sporting director. So this, uh, uh, you know, terrible Romero appointment. Uh, Mazzola was, he, he'd kind of, I think he'd done the job at Inter as well under Moratti. And, and remember, Inter under Moratti, it took him a long time to to um, get things right with sporting directors and, and bringing players in. But Matsola at Torino really didn't work out and there was a lot of regret. I think there was always a sense that people would have liked him for, for him to have played for Torino as, as well as a player and it never quite happened and might not have happened because he wasn't ready quite understandably maybe to um, to have the weight of the shirt that that, it, that his father had, and but this was kind of his opportunity, I guess, to to, to be involved with Torino, and it, it it really didn't work out. Um, and one of those signings was, was Magallanes. He came in, played played eighteen games, and was was absolutely terrible. Um, 
that was the year I moved to Italy and I remember he he got injured just as I moved there and I didn't so I didn't have the despite Torino getting down I didn't the, the one saving grace I never had to watch Mago Yanis but in that team we also had uh we had um Marco Ferrante, uh, Osmanovsky, the Swedish forward, and then Cristiano Lucarelli in that season of Maggie was going through his kind of, uh, yeah, absolutely terrible loss of form. Um, and it, yeah, it really didn't work, really didn't work out. The one goal Maggie scored um, was the 1 0 winner at home to Kiev. We lost the four, first four games of that season. Um, and it was quite a famous game in the San Siro. We lost 6-0 to Milan. Funnily enough, Inzaghi got a hat-trick. And I think his hat-trick goal was a sixth goal. It was like in the 88th minute or something. Inzaghi went absolutely wild. And, you know, kind of in Italy, it's not not the done thing to over-celebrate, um, you know, the fifth or sixth goal. But I mean, it's not something I mind, actually. But, yeah, that that got the wrath of a lot of Torino players and supporters. Um and then a few weeks later, there's an experiment. We played him as an attacking midfielder in a in a Turin derby, which we lost 4-0. Um, so terrible signing, terrible player, terrible results. Uh, but he did once score the winner for, for Uruguay against Brazil as well. Um, so, yeah, just uh, just one of those players who was, as soon as you sport, in, uh, as soon as your president comes out with a quote like that, it is... Um, it's probably never going to work out for you. Uh, just that, just that old uh, that quote just reminds me of um, changing over to Southampton just just briefly. Southampton signed a player called Lee Holmes, who was a young player at Derby, and uh, our coach at the time compared him with Arjen Robin. Uh, he did not turn out to be like Arjen Robin. I think it, it, it puts on, like you say, unnecessary pressure on a player, and whether Magalanes would have been aware of what sort of the president was saying about him before before signing yes. I'm not too sure it's interesting you should say that um because Lee Holmes he that may have not helped Lee Holmes but um, apparently Magallanes when he heard that quote says um someone asked him what's his best position he says great players can play anywhere <laughs> I'd argue <laughs> Except for Torino, but he wasn't talking about. Himself, but he wasn't talking about himself. Maybe he was just saying great players can play anywhere. But I'm rubbish. Well, I think it was self-referential. But I um just I feel I felt the need to get get my own back after the um wake up and smell the coffee. So um I've prepared one for Magellanis who um ended his career uh, in France with um, Dijon, but I think it's safe to say he didn't cut the mustard at Torino. <laughs> Very good. And I think on that, you know what, Federico Magas is not someone I've probably thought about in a long time. As I was researching another another Uruguayan player who actually is a is a is a better story, um, and to me a, a bit more of a cult hero at Torino than, than necessarily a villain. But uh, then I came back across Magallanes, and I, I said, well, he's really got to be in there because he was he, also just his kind of kind of whole demeanor on the pitch was never right. Um, I think he. Very possibly, that was the year Torino had those terrible kits as well. So just, yeah, he didn't even look good. He didn't even look good in the shirt when he was when he was playing so terribly. So, yeah, Maga Yanis, don't want to, yeah, I don't want to hear or see your name for another twenty years. Do you think we could do a um, ex Toro Uruguayan? Maybe not eleven, but I think we could get a five aside team going. Maybe with Gaston Silva. Well, the thing with doing these elevens is you 
it's the goalkeeper, and we've got a Chad. So we've got a, had a Uruguayan goalkeeper, yeah. haven't we? So I think yeah, between Chad, so Mendes, Gaston Silva, Magallanes, Rakoba, Rosa Franco. So we could put um, together a Uruguayan eleven against the Baldi eleven, and then we yeah. could, we could see Car- who, could, who would win. Carlos Agu- Aguilera, Juan Saraco. Um yeah, I think pretty com- there might be a few one or two out of position, but I think pretty comfortably. Wasn't that the baldy Uruguayan Rodriguez we had a defender? Yes. Yeah, yeah Guilherme Rodriguez. He, who yeah. would he play for? Could he play a half of both teams? I think we've had enough baldies to, <laughs> to not need a Uruguayan baldy. Um, let's see. We've obviously got the baldy goalkeeper now, so we you know we kind of got the baldy keeper sorted. There we go. There we go. I think wow. what we should do maybe for one of the next pods we'll do the Uruguayan 11 against the Baldy 11 when we'll, we'll, we'll put it out then we'll see who people think would have won that's, that sounds good to me <laughs> that sounds good to me Is that, that's, play... a sort of, that's the sort of content we'll be using during the World Cup yeah so, you can't you hit can't, the unsubscribe button no. you can't say this podcast isn't niche um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah uh, enough about um, Baldies and Uruguayans uh, should we look ahead to Bologna at the weekend and I've done some research peter you'll be you'll be amazed to hear i've done some research and i'm going to put you on the spot do you know last do you know the last time torino won three consecutive Serie A games is um they talked about this on commentary in bt and i wasn't sure if they had got their facts right but i I would go to say it didn't happen under nicola it certainly didn't happen under Gianpaolo. it didn't happen under longo i'd say it happened under Mazzari, I think we, I have memories we all went wrong at Mazzari. We'd beaten Roma, I think, either before or after Christmas. And then I believe we got a really lucky 1-0 home win over Bologna. And after which I don't think we won for a long time. So I can't remember if we won that game. No, the game before Roma, I think we lost to Spal or someone like that. So I'm not really answering your question, but I'd say, would it, is the season we qualified for Europe under Mazzari? Correct. Okay, now, I, can't I can't remember the games though. No, so I can't, I can't even remember the third game that sort of completed the hat trick. Was it Inter? Did it, when we beat Inter one 0 No, it, it was. So it's March 2019. Yeah. Um, and the it was a game against Frosinone. We yeah. were one 0 down at half time, and the the Lord Voldemort of this podcast, who who is not allowed to be named anymore, scored twice. Was that um, the third third win? Was that it? was the th- that was the third win? Which I don't remember this game at all. Was it home or away? We're in. It's away. So yeah, I don't remember this game at all. But I, I don't. I don't think we, that game happened. Yeah, well, I, I think that's fair enough. If we both don't remember, it didn't happen. Um, but we just to sort of obviously who did who did we lose the fourth game to? Didn't I didn't look that far? That's interesting. That's interesting. Let's let's just try and win three games before we look at four. But uh, I mean that. I mean I'm not sure how long ago that's going to be. Um, but we've come very close to winning three Serie A games in a row. Whoa. Okay. Um, and have almost been ended in comical circumstances. So we've done it twice. We've won two in a row under Juric, and the. Th- um, the third game was the Lazio 1-1 at home yeah where um, our friend Kofi Gigi gave away a penalty I think and drew 1-1 injury time we also in the third game of a, after winning two games was the Sassuolo game after we beat Fiorentina 4-0 and then we absolutely 
dominated Sassuolo and drew 1-1. And then if you look back a little bit further, this would have been under Nicola, I would imagine, April 21. We'd won two games in a row and we've travelled to Bologna and drew 1-1. And then just go back a little bit further, just to, just to show the ways in which Torino are unable to win three games in a row and what they would do to sort of sacrifice this record. Do you remember a game in Verona 2019 where we 3-0 up? Oh yeah, the Ansaldi game. Or, yeah, yeah, the Ansaldi game. That would have been for three wins in a row. And that sort of, that was the game really, which was the beginning and the end of, of Mazzari because we'd started that we started that um, year quite well. We'd won in Rome, travelled to Verona, 3-0 up, and then sort of four weeks later, um, Mazzari was out of a job. Do you know the thing about research is though? It's, it's only as good as looking for yeah, fourth it's, game. It's well, it's, you get a egg on your face, mate. Because... Bologna the fourth game. <laughs> we beat Atalanta, Chievo, Frosinone. It was a spell where, just looking at this kind of Wikipedia, there's only one red between about 15 games. That fourth game was the Lianco Bologna game. We lost three two. Oh, how, so, how could I forget? How um, could I forget? So yeah, well, you got there in the end. Um, yeah, exactly. But so basically, I think the point I'm trying to make here is it's been a very long time since we've won three games in a row. But do you want to know the good news, Peter? Bologna have won two in a row, and they've not won three for even longer. <laughs> oh dear. So well, I feel like I might be better than a draw. Well, it's funny to say that because the last five games in Bologna have been draws, um, and none of them particularly memorable. Nil nil, one one, one one, two two, where we were two nil up, one one. Um, the game before that, Bologna won two nil. Uh, so you have to go back seven games, which I think one you were at, where Bellotti scored the the injury was, time penalty. And was there one? Was there? I think in one of the one ones, Bering under Mihailovic, Beringer. I think it was opening day of the season. Beringer yeah. scored a goal which should have been allowed, but they disallowed it on VAR. Yeah, um, but I'd say I'd say the last three games in Bologna have been absolute stinkers. They've been kind of draws oh, at the game I was at. Suited, yeah, the game I was at was even worse. Um, so yeah, I feel like this an- analysis is, is basically just saying don't bother watching it. It's going to be a draw, and it's not going to be a good game. And thanks, and we don't work for BT, so we can say that. But, but Bolo- yeah, but Bologna, as said, though, it's always a team where someone says name twenty Serie A teams, and they'll probably always be like 17th or 18th which is I mean don't give me a historic club uh great city I like the stadium would love to go there but yeah I think we said this when we played Bologna last season it's just hard to get I don't really know what their identity is were they were they in our all-time Serie A 20 probably forgot them <laughs> probably didn't even mention them. I think they might have been in on the hey, um, I think um, they were in uh, they were I think we got them in on kind of um on location. Um, oh, okay. If yeah, we'll have to look look at back at that one. But yeah, Bologna obviously two wins two wins in a row, which I'm quite happy about because I prefer going to a team that's probably a bit more relaxed in terms of not Money maybe it will be a bit more of an open game as less the, the last few seasons where Torino especially have gone there just a point will be a really kind of useful result. Um but yeah, they're a team of kind of mixed bag of 
a lot of kind of northern European players. Um, they've got a Scottish fantasista or trequatista uh, at the moment. He scored um, in his last two. Yeah, I mean they do like a do like a young Scottish player there as well. Um, and then they've always got that collection of Sansones and Sorianos and these people who seem to have been there a long time. Orsolini scored the Orsolini, winner. I think who, he's perennially, yeah. perennially linked I mean, with Serena. Arnautovic is there. I guess a key player, he was out against Monza. I think it was a gastro flu type thing, which expect that uh, he may, yeah, is maybe not something that will keep him out this weekend. Um, and then from Torino's side, we've got Bologna and Samp in the next two, and, two matches. Which this is, what, this is where I think it's key. Where, where, this is where actually I think this is quite important just on a, just going into this break for the World Cup. If we could, if we can win in Bologna and then we've got home game against Samp, there is that potential to win four games in a row before coming to Rome for the last game of the of the year. And this is Torino, so I've got no doubt that this isn't going to go to plan. But as you talk about sort of closing the gap to Udinese, even just trying to, to break into that top seven, it's going to be very difficult because there are teams who look quite comfortable and, and look like they're going to be the seventh for the rest of the season. Udinese probably the one team who are potentially catchable. Um, but if we could win two games in a row, I mean that would mean four. Well, be four wins in a row. Be a pretty good end to the to the year, even if we were to then go and lose in Rome. Yeah, I mean I think the Roma game is going to be a weird one. I, close to the world. I wouldn't surprise if the Roma game is an absolute stinker. But without jumping too far ahead of ourselves. It's hard to see knowing Torino winning against Bologna and Sampdoria, although we should be beating the current Sampdoria team. Um, how he manages the two games in terms of turnover of players would be quite interesting. I mean, before I make my prediction this week, because we, we didn't do a pod last week, would you like to share the predictions from the Milan game? So I, I went optimistic for 1-1 and Peter went super optimistic for uh, 2-0 Torino victory, um, for which I was very glad that the, the referee took my bunk uh, and allowed Mercedes' uh, goal, because otherwise I'd been either hurt, even further behind. But yeah. Uh, do, do you know what my prediction is for Bologna then? I think it would be a draw. You're going for another draw? I, well, really? I'm, I'm, I'm almost tempted to see what your prediction is first before my prediction, because I'm playing catch-up, so I... If I'm if we're going to predict the same, then I'm I'm not going to do that. I need to I need to catch up points. That's tactical. I think I think Torino will win four one in Bologna. Wow. I, think, well, yeah, I, will, I, I will be going for a draw then. <laughs> yeah, I might, I might be wrong. We're kind of we're overdue a win in in Bologna. Um, yeah, I just see maybe as playing if we get a little bit of the opportunity on the counter attack. If we score first, um, I know I'm kind of being overly optimistic, but I, I will take it by saying that yeah, then the Sampdoria game may go wrong after that if we win in Bologna. But wow. one, one, one game at a time. Yeah, fancy Vlasic to, Vlasic to score. And yeah, I may look very stupid next week. Yeah, I feel, I feel like I can't, I can't really lose now here, unless we do lose. But if I'm going to put it to 1-1, just because that just seems to be the, the result every time we travel to Bologna. But if we win, end up winning four one, I'll be I'll happily uh, pass over these three extra points, and I think it might be time. It might be conceding territory. 
I think if this is a frame of snooker, I think um, I'd be in the snooker's required stage. But thankfully, there will still be a number of games to catch up. But I will, I'd be more than happy with the 4 1 win. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you've got. You've definitely not I've got, not got any spot on Yeah, but I don't think you've even got a result correct for quite a while. So um, I think whatever you do, if you know, anyone that, wants to. Did I not predict to win in Udine? Uh, no. Um, I think you may have predicted a draw in Udine. Um, I will check. VAR. Oh, no, you did. Sorry, you predicted 1-0 in Udine. I, um, I, I predicted uh, that. I think I predicted a 90th minute winner. That was, that was your second. The only, you got two results correct this season. So wow. It won't be 1-1. It won't be 1-1 this week. So predict us to beat Monza, <laughs> Monza or Cremonese. Monza, you predicted it. Monza and Udinese wins, you've correct. Wow. You've so. Wow. I'm obviously, um, obviously don't know anything, but. That's why you're it, here. Exactly. Not on a better podcast. <laughs> uh, on that note, um, yeah, well, let's, what you say. So three wins, three, we're going three wins in a row. Uh, I, 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 I'm going to say if we win three in a row, we win four. But I, I've just got a feeling, especially it's the it's the Sunday UK time, eleven thirty kickoff. It's never the best time, but it's, to be honest, actually, I think that probably affects the home team more so than the away side. So maybe that, that maybe that sneaks in for a chance. And I think confidence will be high. We've got some players in good form. I, I won't be surprised if we win, but I just I just think the the fact that it's been three years since we've managed to do it, we've also managed to sort of throw away games which we really should have won. Uh, when trying to sort of win three in a row before under Yorich. But yeah, if we win, I mean, if we win four games to end the season, four out of the last, let's just say we draw or lose to Roma, we win four out of five, then Tyro's going to be delighted. He's going to think he doesn't have to spend any money in January. Well, he was, he was talking about spending money after the, the Milan game, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? If we, if we go into the winter break in seventh or eighth place on a, Having you know, having won a few more games between now and then, it will. But you know, maybe maybe it is a case of a couple of measured signings, um, and let's let's see. But anyway, Forza Toro, Forza Toro.